You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Network. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Maybe Woody Allen, maybe Spike Lee, maybe Technicolor. Hi, welcome to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies and games and franchises one title at a time. We're, uh, this time around, we're talking a bit about Monkey Island and kind of pirate imagery and um, movies, TV shows, and so forth. Uh, with me, I have Thrasher. Hello. And Alex. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of harm. <laughs> and uh, with me, we have a very special guest, Dominic Armato. You might know him best as the voice of Guybrush Threepwood. He also has been doing voiceover for various projects over the years, including Ah Real Monsters, which is one that sort of jumped out to me. Was that your first gig? Uh, no, not a first, but uh, it might have been my, might have been my first uh, animation gig. I'd have to think about that. But uh, yeah, there was uh, just an episode, one guest episode that I did with, um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name, uh, Jeopardy host, uh, new Jeopardy host, uh, Mind Bialik. Uh, oh, so that was uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just just one episode gig, so that was uh, that was uh, that was interesting. It was a fun day. Do they have you record in a group or is it all separately? Uh, for that one, I believe it was the two of us at the same time. They tended to work pretty quickly. That was Klasky Chupo. You know, they were doing Rugrats, and then I did Rocket Power with them later on. Um, and uh, they would try to you know squeeze a bunch of people in to keep the energy up. You know, let you play off of each other as much as possible. Um, I think it was just the two of us in the booth for that one because we were just a couple of, you know, uh, a couple of guest actors with a few lines, so not uh, not a whole big full episode thing. Right. That's. Uh, but I think anytime you get someone else in the booth with you to act off of, I think that always helps the performance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty typical for for animation. You know, not so much for interactive, but uh, but for uh, but for television, that's that's pretty much the norm. Certainly. So I mean, with um, Monkey Island is is pirate themed, also comedy themed. And uh, do you remember when you first saw a pirate in a form of media? It could be a TV show, could be a movie, could be a... Oh, gosh. First time ever. I don't know. What's the first one you think that would, that made you see uh, think pirates are cool? I mean, right. it, may, it might it very might... well have been Monkey Island. It's not, <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility. Right. Um, man, I mean, I must have seen piratey stuff as a kid, but I can't... I can't think of what it would have been. I can't think of any specific shows, but I feel like, you know, there's always those little, you know, snippets and cartoons and that kind of thing. It is funny because you, you do grow up with pirates around. You dress up like yeah. one for Halloween. You know, you're aware of it. You're aware of eye patches and parrots and stuff. But making a direct link is kind of difficult because I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I'm like, what, what is it? Where is it? What am I looking for? Treasure Island, maybe? <laughs> yeah. You know, I take it back. It probably was Pirates of the Caribbean. The, 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 the original oh, oh, ride. The ride. Yes. No, I mean, I, you know, it was funny, actually, because, you know, I was, I was thinking about this, you know, through film, television, that sort of thing. And I came up with a couple. But I but when I actually thought about it, I thought there are so few. Like, I wasn't someone who watched a lot of pirate movies. I wasn't like sitting around as a kid watching Errol Flynn or anything like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but but still, you know, and then the more I thought about it, the more I thought about it, it's like, gosh, I feel like. I feel like really my biggest exposure to the whole piratey theme was just the ride at Disney, you know, both, both California and Florida, um, which, which is funny since, you know, ostensibly that's kind of where sort of the monkey Island milieu is at least partially inspired by. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I wonder, it makes me wonder how much it, it seems weird. But it makes me wonder how much that ride, you know, the physical ride has influenced you know media of all kinds uh over the decades well actually between the two between disneyland and disney world which has the better pirates ride oh i think land although i haven't been to world in quite some time but it's got to be land right That's usually i can't remember what the differences are I, now i've never yeah, been because uh, yeah. disney world doesn't have the the big if i recall doesn't have the 
sort of the the the, the skeleton ghost piratey intro part, if I recall. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, um, I was just in, in Disney World last week in Florida, or not last you were, week, okay. back, back in October, and I had not been to it since maybe 1989. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there was no spooky skeleton at the beginning at, at the right. Disney World, and they've added a few characters from Pirates of the Caribbean, but at least the way they're integrated isn't too annoying. But, you know, I, I felt like, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, you know, it's, you, you want to, you, if you're a traditionalist, it seems a little weird to add, you know, Jack Sparrow and all that. But no, I agree. The way they did it was not too overtly, you know, in your face. It was, it, it was nicely integrated, I thought. So, so for what it's worth. Yeah. You don't have Jack Sparrow going, you can buy my movie on 4K for $39.99 yeah, exactly. in the gift store. <laughs> <laughs> sell, sell, sell. It's an animatronic Jack Sparrow. Buy my film. Buy yeah, exactly. my film. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Yeah, I think for me, maybe some of the pirate stuff that, that came the first pirate thing I think I saw in a theater was Steven Spielberg's Hook, which going back to is a very strange movie. That's what I've heard. I've never actually seen that one. It you know, it's it's Spielberg. It has good production design. Yeah. It, it it's well shot. I don't I don't think the writing's especially good, but it's uh it's just a very weird, but they they build it with real sets and stuff. I think just for the set design stuff, you might get a kick out of it, but I don't yeah. think it's yeah. any. It was kind of one of those famously plagued productions too. Kind of went over budget, right. kind of went off the rails a little bit. It's strange because that was a very like present movie growing up. Everyone had it on VHS and everything. And then mm-hmm. watching it now, it's um it's a long movie. <laughs> you can definitely feel the length. Yeah, either that one or maybe Princess Bride. There's a sort of piratey stuff going on with the Dread. Yeah, I thought about that one too. I mean, I saw that. Everyone saw that. But it. Well, I guess there's there's pirates and swashbuckling, and I feel like Mm. there's like a there's got to be a way to kind of make the determination which is which. You know. Yeah. Like swashbuckling in pirate movies, but does that make it a swashbuckler? I guess. Right. Good point. I was, you know, looking over all the Monkey Island games you've you've done, voicing the main character, uh, Guybrush Sleepwood, of course. And that you played the original Secret of Monkey Island. Uh, I think you mentioned on at a friend's house on Sega CD or something. It was it was in my house, but yeah, it's oh, it was CD. your house. Okay. That was my intro. Yeah, when I was in, uh, I think I was in high school at the time. I got a Sega CD, and yeah, I, I picked up Curse of Monkey Island, or excuse me, yeah, it's the Secret of Monkey Island, and that was that was my intro. So, and, and then not too long after that, I played uh, uh, LeChuck's Revenge on uh, on the PC, and then figured, well, that's it. Ron's gone. It's been many years. We'll never see this again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's been the most right. surreal thing about the new game is I was arguing with my friends at 12 about the Ron Gilbert stuff when, um, you know, oh, he's never going to make a third one. Like, I never thought this would happen with the new game Return to Monkey Island. And I think the, I, I like that the, the the writing is thoughtful and it's actually about something. I'm trying not to get into spoilers because I don't think my co-hosts have, have beaten it yet. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, a lot of that, I think, you know, both between both Ron and Dave, um, I, 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 I love, yeah, there's, there's so much thought in the storytelling and, and, and one of the things that I loved about this, and I I told them this early on too, is that, you know, it's, it's less gag driven to me return is, and it's more, um, it's more, it's more story driven and it's more, the humor to me feels more, more effortless and more just a part of you know, these, these people, the people themselves are funny. It's not, you know, it's not like we're going to plug in joke here, plug in joke here. Um, and, uh, and I think it, uh, and they just gave it some real sensitive depth, which, which, you know, makes sense. You know, you got, uh, you got a couple of fellows who started this at the very beginnings of their careers and, you know, now they've gone off and done 80 bajillion other things and now they come back and, you know, of course you might have some, uh, might have some, some, some deeper thoughts about it after having, having been able to let it stew for such a long time. Um, but it's certainly, you know, I mean, as someone who also, you know, was sort of in a similar position, you know, where it was, you know, part of my life and, and for any of the fans, you know, it's part of your life early on. And then, you know, you come back to it when you're, when you're much older and in a different place in your life. And, uh, I think it's, it's, it's surprisingly poignant. Well, actually speaking you... of, uh, poignancy, uh, because I think I first heard you do the voice of Guybrush Threepwood in Curse of Monkey Island, mm-hmm. and the vocal performance had a really kind of like youthful, like like boyish charm to it. I'm just wondering when you're when you're doing that voice, you know, where is the emotional, or or where's where's the humanity of Guybrush? Like, what what do you tap into to bring that vocal performance out? Uh, well, I mean, for sure, you talk about being boyish. I mean, to be fair, I was 19 years old when I was cast for that, so <laughs> so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a real stretch at the time. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I guess it's just there isn't there's just there's always this there's always an innocence about him. You know, I mean, he's he's never he's he can't be as easy it is for him to be a jerk. He can never be evil. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, and 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 it all it all stems from. I, I guess for me, it's just trying to find that in myself and trying to bring it out. You know, I mean, like I, you know, I, I, I grew up with this and, uh, you know, before I had anything to do with it and it just, you know, I feel like uh, it's sort of natural in those old games where they weren't voiced to, to a certain extent. I think it's pretty natural to put yourself into that role. And of course it's easy because, you know, it, you know, he's, he's, he's a dude, he's young. So it worked for me. Um, and, and, and I just kind of felt like, you know, I I've put myself in this guy's shoes for so many years and it worked for me and maybe it'll work for everybody else too. And it, and it happened to uh, happen to work out just fine that way. So, so, uh, so, you know, I mean, if you can find it in yourself then you should be able to find it in the character, I think. So, I mean, speaking of what you, you said, you know, you had played the, the first two monkey Island games when you were a kid, when they went back into the special versions where you did the voices, did you find mm -hmm. it challenging in that you're doing voiceover for a game that wasn't designed to have voiceover to begin with? I mean, yes. the dialogue was written yeah. to be read. It wasn't written for someone to, to speak it. Yeah, it wasn't, um, it wasn't all the time, but there certainly were a lot of places where we run into a line and it just, it, it just felt really awkward. It, it seemed natural when you read it on the screen, but when you actually tried to speak it out loud, it felt really awkward. And that was, you know, and that's just the old voiceover magic of like, you know, if you have, it, it's funny because actually you sort of end up tapping into those, those, those tricks you have in your back pocket for when you have a bad script, you know, for when you, when it's, when it's just something is badly written, which wasn't the case here. It was written perfectly. It's just that it wasn't written to be voiced. So, so, you know, it did kind of try to take something that's a little awkwardly written and just smooth it out and make it sound a little more natural. So that, that was a little, that was a little tricky at times. And it's a little weird too, because, uh, you know, some of the lines were, all the lines were so short, you know, how, how, because how much there wasn't anything that was a, you know, a nice big long chunk because, you know, you had to pop it up on screen and have somebody read it quickly. So, um, so it felt a little weird. It felt different. It felt very, very different voicing it. Um, but you know, that's 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 what you got to do. You got to figure out a way to make it sound nice and clean and smooth and natural. So, do you think um, does getting into the character become easier or harder as it goes on? Over oh, time? easier. There's no there yeah. it, with garbage. It's, just, it's instantaneous. I mean, for yeah. it just because it's been so long, it's been so many years. I had and I had already, you know, lived with it in my head for a long time before. I, with the first, you know, the first couple of times, like when I did Curse, when I did Escape, there was a little more, a little more, you know, ramp up, get comfortable, get into it. Um, both both times, actually, I I was living in Los Angeles at the time, so both times I went down, you know, like rode Pirates of the Caribbean about five or six times in a row, you know, just to get, <laughs> get in the spirit of it. The yeah. day before uh, we started, the day before we started recording um but um but but it was it wasn't that hard then and, and now it's just you know it's it's easy when it's so close to yourself to just kind of fall into it and and i've lived with him for for so long now that it's like you know two lines and and we're good to go um i wouldn't say that's normal but certainly in this situation that's uh that's kind of how it is so oh, very cool yeah with Curse of Monkey Island, you were at the head of a phenomenal voice cast. And uh, the two names that stand out uh, were Alan Young and Gary Coldman, who were both who are both show business <laughs> legends for completely different reasons. Very I'm, different reasons, yeah. Oh exactly. yeah. I was just wondering if you if you had if you know if you had any any like stories or anecdotes related to working with either of those two legends. I I'm so I I actually did and it was one of the the very rare situations where I actually did get to work with one of them because Alan was one of the uh one of the fellows who did the pirate song as well of course is Haggis McMutton and that, that is over all the games that's the only time I've actually been able to get in the booth with the other actors. Um so it was him and uh Greg Berger and um uh, gosh, I'm blanking now. I, uh, um, I remember the fellow. I'm blanking his name. But in any case, that was the only time we've actually been able to get in in the booth. Um, so that was tremendously exciting. And he was just, you know, he had, he was a legend at that point. He'd been around forever, and he was just, you know, just a, just a sweet dude, just a really, a really laid back, easygoing guy. Who's, you know, he's not, you know, it's actor coming in with something to prove. He's, he's just there, you know, having having some fun and doing a fun role. Um, I did meet Gary Coleman very briefly, and that's how I met him. The way I did any of the other people I happen to run into is just in between sessions, you know, he's heading out, I'm coming in, that sort of thing. So just kind of a quick, hi, oh, good to meet you, whatever, you know, and then he's out the door and I'm in the booth. So, 
Um, but it was, yeah, it's interesting. But, but what's I? But I mean, I tell you, you know, those 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 big names, the ones who who people know, those are interesting. But I mean, the ones who always stand out to me. You talk about being. Uh, it's weird to say at the head of a cast like that, but I mean, some of the, I mean, the people who were doing all the voices that, you know, voiceover legends, I mean, these people who, who, you know, back then, certainly the general public was not aware of their names at all. I say if there's a lot more of that now, people are much more conscious of, of voice actors and games now than they were at the time. But, um, but I mean, you know, I think like people like Tom Kane and I, I got to sit through a couple of sessions just to watch him in particular. And I mean, I just I was completely blown away watching him work uh, reshaped how I approached the work, maybe not in a positive way. He scared me off a little bit because like he was I mean, it was it was so incredible to me how those voice actors, you could give them a little character, a little description, you know, a little ten, and they kind of think for a second and like, OK, and they step up to the microphone and just nail it on that first try. And all of a sudden they're that character. And. And there was a part of me at the time, you know, I was pretty young and I'm thinking, I, I don't think I can ever be that, you know, I think, I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm good within certain realms and I have a decent amount of range, but it's like that, that talent to be able to just come up with absolutely anything on the spur of the moment um, is something that I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to have that. Um, but it's certainly, maybe you want to try, but man, they're, they're, they're amazing to me. So looking up your bio, you did a food criticism for, for a time. I did. And, and I'm wondering, did you ever get to go to a pirate themed dining establishment? There was, so it's sort of kind of, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a, a bar here and uh, it's kind of funny. There was, it was a coffee shop um, that was built in an old uh, Jiffy Lube or some old express lube place. And then they had beneath the coffee shop, they had the pits where you'd be underneath the cars and they converted that uh, into a pirate ship themed bar called Undertow uh and uh and it was great it was they they got like and and it was it was completely disneyfied it was like prior to, it was it was the whole thing was supposed to be like the hold of a clipper ship you know and it's and they've got the deck above and like a little bit of light filtering down through the cracks in the deck and they got the portholes with the uh, video of the ocean going by and every once in a while the storm would start up they 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 went huge with it um and uh you know it's a tiki bar uh um you know so on piratey tiki i don't know but, but it, you know even a little bit of a little bit of a pastiche of uh, of uh, of things but uh but yeah no it's, it was it was it was a lot of fun and uh they've they've since uh, opened up a couple locations here in phoenix so there used to be a great place out here in st helen or i'm in portland oregon but just outside the city in st helens there's a place called ye old grog distillery Ooh. that unfortunately went out of business because they couldn't legally sell their stuff in stores because it's grog it's something weird technicality with the combination of alcohol in it but they really? had two flavors yeah one was like a root beer orange and the other was almost like a bubblegum caramel and <laughs> i yeah but i mean i it was I a like good it place theory. to go to but it had a lot of just all these goofy pirate drawings and stuff and it really gave a lot of flavor to a place that otherwise was frankly in a little bit of a scary location where it looks like you might get stabbed <laughs> walking to the distillery <laughs> that's funny yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm trying to think of there. Has there anyone, anyone who's ever been anyone who's tried to do like a piratey themed chain restaurant or something like that? I can't, I can't think of anyone who's tried. There, there's one. There in were, oh, go, yeah, there were go a few ahead. on the Cape where I grew up, and it was just like a, like a title and theme only. You know, we I yeah. worked at a place called like the Captain Kid, and they had like you know Barnacle Bay Brewery and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, but exactly. They, they, there wasn't a lot of commitment to it, you know. No, if you're gonna do, if you're gonna do that, you have to commit. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta yeah. go strong. Go bigger. We were long John, adjacent. <laughs> long John Silver's, despite being named after literature's greatest pirate, uh, is the least pirate-themed establishment that's ever been established. <laughs> yeah. Having right. never set foot in a Long John Silver's, I will take your word for that. <laughs> a little, 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 little scared of that one, but yeah, I think with I find with with fish in particular, I'm, I'm very picky about where i go or where i get it from it's uh, yeah and, and i've been spoiled you, you this not we want to shoot for the few, yeah right maybe you know save money the ham sandwich is probably fine yeah the exactly. bits, but uh, whenever you commercialize seafood it never really seems right you know like legal seafood red lobster long john silver you know yeah, it's like yeah. uh, no i'll stick with like a local place like it's oh, their own yeah, you know, I'm just thinking like, how do you, no, I'm good. <laughs> all right. I mean, if, you, all you, if all you want is a, you know, a fried patty, a square fish, you can get that anywhere. That's easy. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I don't think their chicken fingers or fish patty will be any different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Mina, you want to take us out with the last question? 
Oh, I guess this has been kind of brewing in my mind. What would, if you were a pirate, what would be your treasure? What is the thing that you would steal in a daring raid with swashbuckling action and then bury in an island somewhere? Well, if I'm going to stick with my theme, it's got to be a recipe of some kind, right? I mean, <laughs> maybe, yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the secret recipe to something delicious. What do pirates even eat? I should know this, shouldn't I? <laughs> Hard they, is, is, it, is, it, is it just hardtack and grog? I mean, is that uh, is that pretty much it? Save there, a few there was lines a pirate or... handbook I had growing up, and they had a recipe for like pirate biscuits, and they were disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> they are. I mean, mm-hmm. I, there yeah. was a, I, I, my son was telling me about some friends who for a school project made some hardtack, and they were like, "It's just the most awful stuff ever." It's like, why would you? Why would no one would want to eat this? It's like we need. Can we can we get some lemnus bread going on here at least? You know, something it has some. <laughs> You know, is it, it tasted like baking soda and salt? Like that's all oh, it was. Oh, yeah. It was disgusting. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, but geez, oh man. Yeah. I mean, did they fish? Did pirates fish? You got you're surrounded by the ocean. So, <laughs> water, water. Why, why have we never seen? Why have we never seen that in pop culture? Have we ever seen in pop culture in any sort of depictions of pirates, like pirates, you know, casting nets and you know, cooking up some fresh fish on deck? This <laughs> yes. is the intersection of my interests here. Oh, this is what we need to figure out. Halibut on the poop deck, yeah. right? I mean, you're surrounded by delicious seafood. Why are you not, uh, you know, you should be taking advantage of that. Shucking lobsters. It's right yeah, there, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, wow. you can't get any fresher than right from the ocean. Well, That's uh, what I'm thinking. I mean, I mean, right? in, in reality, did they? I don't know. Seems like such a waste. It does. It does. Uh, well, well, Dom, thanks so much for doing this. It's, no, uh, no problem it's, at it's all. It's been a blast talking about food and Monkey Island. And um, do you have any current projects you want to plug? No, not right now. Actually, I'm just kind of laying back now. You know, we, I you know did Monkey Island, did Lucy Dreaming, and now I'm kind of taking inventory and uh, and uh, trying to put together a demo. And uh, we'll see if I can kind of sneak my way back into the rounds again. It's been uh, it's been a little Excellent. while, but uh, but I'm trying to get my sea legs back beneath me. So, very good. Well, um, again, thank you so much. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Hello and welcome to SequelCast Special, a podcast looking at topics at large. What you just heard was an interview we did with Dominic Armato, the voice of Guybrush Threepwood and the Monkey Island games. We talked to him about some pirate stuff and we're going to have kind of a longer conversation here uh, on pirate movies and TV shows and games and all these sort of things. Because every few years, you know, it seems like they do a pirate movie and... They tend to not make money, but some of them do. But it's always like you have period costumes, you have people on big ships, you have to film on water, you film with kids usually in these things. You know, it's kind of everything you don't want in a movie. And yet, it's kind of a well people keep going back to. So, uh, I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Who are Hades? Arm off the Burnham oil there, sirrah! And Alex? I get a Google search of pirate movies cross-referenced with the Wikipedia page, movies featuring piracy, and I also cross-reference that with a Bye, you scurvy sea dog. That would be the least piratey thing you could have ever done. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, I mean, pirates are... I think a lot of people's first encounter with pirates is uh, Peter Pan, maybe, and that Peter Pan, along with, like, Dracula, seems like one of the most remade stories we get in, in film and television it's uh I mean, i'm glad you yeah. mentioned that because i believe uh the disney version of peter pan is the first time i ever saw pirates on screen i guess you're right i mean i guess what, what came to mind to me was just the endless commercials at the time for foxes peter pan and the pirates oh yeah with tim curry <laughs> with tim curry and and it was kind of uh done around the same time i think as the spielberg movie hook yeah, that's, oh, it's yeah. interesting because um, we watched Peter Pan, Pirates, you know, that was like our, that's like set the bar for Pirates. It's like fucking parrots on the shoulders, eye patches, swords, and yar. Um, and yet, we were not a hook house. We didn't have hook, mm-hmm. we didn't have the VHS. I didn't see it till I was an adult, actually. I saw a hook in theaters, and that was the first time in a theater when I walked out. I'm like, that was not very good. <laughs> and I was maybe, you know, eight years old or nine, whatever it was. And oh, I, it, it, yeah, sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, it just was, you know, I recall, you know, the commercials, you know, it's Steven Spielberg. I knew he was the Indiana Jones guy. 
and, and the poster was just the shining hook. I mean, uh, Sony with the marking on on that really didn't skimp. Um, apparently, you know, it was such like a, a cool set to visit. People were taking uh, actors and, and directors and everything were taking their kids to visit all the time to see the the hook pirate ship uh, set. And that's one of Spielberg's few movies that he's made that he doesn't like very much that he'll kind of say it's not one of his favorites along with Indiana Jones and last crusade. Yeah, I can, uh, I can see why it's funny. This is like one of those internet things I think is kind of funny is that like, I remember it was, it was kind of a dud when it came out. Um, and a lot of people I know, our age group, I guess you could say, were like, no, Hook's awesome. It's great. Uh, you know, I watched it when I was a kid, so it's great now. And I watched it, I was like, this is kind of long and uh, not that interesting. So I I did not see Hook until I think a year or two after it came out on home video. Um, and I remember, like, I have not revisited it, but I remember not liking it at the time. But the thing that always sticks in my mind about Hook is that before it came out, it was the first time I remember ever questioning the premise of a movie. Mm. I, I remember when, when like, you know, I see the trailer and I hear, see, hear an ad on the radio. And, and I remember just simply having the thought, well, Peter Pan is the boy who never grew up. So if in your narrative, Peter Pan has grown up, is it legitimately a Peter Pan story? If you That'd violated like... that central conceit <laughs> of the character. That would be like, what if Dracula wasn't a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you have Robin Williams play the the Peter Pan, the elder Peter Pan uh, in the it's real world. As you want for that role, frankly. Well, and he just seems, you know, he's angry. His character kind of is having spats with his wife. Like it's just sort of, and um, there's a, a pretty good. I don't know the name of it, but there's a memoir by Terry Brooks who who wrote the Shannara series of fantasy novels, but he wrote the novelization for Hook. And uh-huh. he, he talks about, they gave him very little to work with, and I guess initially in an early draft of the script, uh, so in the, in the movie at the beginning, they're watching a uh, stage production of Peter Pan. But in the original script, they were just all going to a baseball game. <laughs> and he thinks in the movie, having the characters watch a play of Peter Pan makes things very confusing and muddled, which I, I agree with. And he was given like almost no pictures from the set and he, and he sort of compared it to when he did the novelization of Phantom Menace, Star Wars episode one, he got all sorts of help from George Lucas with pictures ah. and, and uh, he got to see some of the footage before anyone else did. And he had like all these phone conversations with the director to kind of help his novel version. So yeah, it's one of the, the perils of, of adapting, of making a contemporary version of an older thing that has a huge cultural footprint is that inevitably you have to decide, you know, whether or not that cultural footprint is going to be acknowledged in your new work. And if so, how? Sure. And I mean, so you mentioned Thrasher, you, uh, the Disney Peter Pan might have been your first time you saw pirates. Did you think pirates looked fun? Do you think they were scary? What did you uh, well, think about it? Well, I thought Captain Hook was fun, and I thought Smee was mm-hmm. fun. They have a really delightful, like, dynamic. But what uh, always struck me about the the Disney version of Peter Pan is all the other pirates look terrifying and intimidating. Like, P- Captain Hook and Smee, they're, they're just fun. They're like old pantomime actors. They're there to entertain you. But I remember being scared of the other pirates. I mean, there's even that whole th- thing with that one pirate with the huge jaw and like the three days worth of, of beard growth, <laughs> like kind of pulls out that lusciously animated knife and says, it has been months since we last slit a throat. <laughs> and like in that moment of, oh, 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 right. They'll murder you. <laughs> yeah, they and didn't think- uh, completely, you know, wash over the fact that, you know, pirates do piratey shit. Yeah, and and it and you know even then like among and this has been one of the things with with things like our flag uh, means death and other more uh, more revisionist pirate movies, but also like what we now know about pirates is that yes, there are pirate ships that operated in a sense like democratic institutions. There were there were people on those pirate ships who were freer than any other people that uh, that lived in their era, but. 
it was a freedom bought through intimidation and violence. Yeah. I mean, if you, if your job is pirate, you are inevitably going to be killing people and taking their stuff at some point. You're basically gangsters on a boat. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's a good comparison. Cool. Alex, did what do you remember the first time you see pirates in some kind of a movie or TV show? Is it the Disney or? For me, the quintessential pirate movie is actually uh, fucking the the live action um, Treasure Island. Ah, sure. OK, the Disney one. Yeah, yeah, that that was a that was great. No. That definitely stuck in my memory. Um, I was watching like it as like a primer for this episode, but like I wasn't giving it the attention. I was like, I have to sit down and actually watch this movie because I think it's actually a good movie. Um, or it could just be nostalgia, but it's directed by Byron Haskin, who is no slouch. Hmm. We also did um, War of the Worlds and Robinson Crusoe on Mars. I'm going to say, I, I really love Treasure Island as a story. Uh, I loved reading it as a kid. And I think I've loved every adaptation I've ever seen on the screen. Yeah, it's a solid work. Um, I mean, a lot of uh, Robert Louis Stevenson um, translates to screen fairly well, I think. But um, yeah, we're, we're compelled to go Dr. Jekyll and everything. But Treasure Island fucking rocks. And I think the thing that strikes me about about Treasure Island is it's it's one of the few stories where it's a very fun pirate story, but the pirates aren't the heroes. Like it it acknowledges that these are these are dangerous people. Yeah, exactly. It's um it's a it's a good flick. It's a good premise. Um, and it's got that uh fucking great line where he's like, "One more step and I'll blow your brains out." Oh, and if we're talking about adaptations of Treasure Island, I think we it, and since we've already brought up Disney, I think we need to talk about Treasure Planet, which is a fun concept. Yeah. Let's let's do Treasure Island as a fantasy in outer space, which is a, a good solid premise. It's a gorgeously animated film, but I feel like it's one of Disney's lesser efforts. And one of the reasons is because it kind of awkward it more awkwardly combines traditional animation with computer animation you know, like I, I think the combination is more awkward in that than it is in any other movie of its era but the other thing is that there's a very there's a very particular relationship that exists between Jim Hawkins and Long John Silver who is the main pirate of the story and the mistake that Treasure Planet makes is that when Long John Silver is introduced, he kind of becomes a paternal, a surrogate father figure for Jim Hawkins, who is himself an orphan, who's, whose father like died because of piracy. Yeah. And the mistake that Treasure Planet makes is it decides, oh, no, he is a good father figure for Jim Hawkins. <laughs> uh, when No, he's not. He's, he's a sociopath who's manipulating Jim to get a treasure map, and he plans to betray Jim. And Treasure Planet never hits that tone because it keeps asking you to forget that Long John Silver is ready to betray Jim at the drop of a hat and will kill him to get the treasure. Right. I think also it came out after Toy Story and after Toy Story is such a hit, everyone had the or the general public had the thing. OK, this is what cartoons are supposed to look like now. So mm. it yeah, I mean, it, it cost a lot of money. It, it didn't do that well. And after that. You had a few 2D animated stuff like uh, Princess and the Frog or Home in the Range. And well, uh, one, one misstep is that apparently they had planned a direct-to-video sequel where the villain was an ancient robot pirate named Ironbeard. And if you look up the concept art hmm. for Ironbeard, he is terrifying. He's like this skeletal robot with like chains hanging off his face. It's really great. And like being untethered from tre the novel Treasure Island, I think that would have been a great film. That probably should have been where right. it started. I think, yeah, because the story's been done so much and then it's called Treasure Planet. You know, it's not clear, is it Treasure Island? Is it just about a planet with a lot of money on it? What What is this thing really about? Had they even just called it Treasure Island and it would set in space, I think, you know, maybe it might have been more clear what was going on. Um, so, I mean... I'm just looking at all these different versions of Peter Pan and a lot of these I just have never seen. I mean, there's one, there's a Peter Pan version in 2003 with the uh, Jason Isaacs as, as hook. That there's a pan from that. I think that was a big flop, right? Yeah. Yeah. With Hugh Jackman, right? Right. Yeah. That I've seen some of that one. That one, that one is weird. 
Was this like an off-brand? Like this looks like the, the like you know when you have like this knockoff movie from like another country. You know, like you have like Terminator Two, then you have like you know the Turkish film called like Termination Man or something. Like, was there another Japan movie that this was competing with? I don't think so, but it's it's needlessly dark and there are some weird anachronisms that get thrown in like musical sequences. part of the premise is is that you know you, you know peter pan can't just like captain hook can't just be an enemy for peter pan there has to be a reason why he's in neverland and they come up with this whole idea that he's a fairy dust smuggler and he's enslaved hundreds of lost boys and is making them dig into a mountainside to mine fairy dust and weird. there's this whole bit when like that captain hook makes his grand entrance where like all the pirates start singing uh smells like teen spirit but as like a sea shanty what the fuck yeah it's real yeah. weird that's that weird i've seen like you know how there's like like three pinocchios this year and one of them's like an off-brand one with like Polly shore <laughs> like this looks like yeah. The, yeah. the third pinocchio of peter pan movies like this, you would walk right by that poster and it's a fucking pirate ship in space that should at least get your attention. Or a pirate ship in midair, I guess. I guess it's space in the technical, literal sense. But In, in the luminiferous ether. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing with, with pirates is another one that comes to mind is I mean, a lot of these just happen to be flops, but uh, I think this one's pretty enjoyable as far as movies go, is Cutthroat Island from Rennie Harlan. Mm. Oh, I'm glad you brought this up, because this this was a notorious flop in its day, but about 10 years after it came out, I think shortly before or after the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise started, it became yeah. a staple on cable, and it just ran constantly for years, and it really found an audience, I think. Yeah, this it was did. like a Heaven's Gate level flop. It was like a huge production and it fucking yes. tanked for reasons beyond me because we had it on tape growing up. We watched it all the time. It was a lot of fun. I think just, I don't know. There hadn't been a movie like that in so long and the, the poster maybe looks kind of cheesy and, and, and maybe it needed someone bigger in the lead other than, uh, I mean, Gina Davis, I think she was married to Rennie Harlan or, or something at the time, but yeah. Matthew Modine, I don't think is as big enough of a name as you'd want. Well, Gina Davis was huge at the time, and I think they expected her to carry the film. And it also makes me wonder, you know, like, what could have been? Like, if this movie had been a success, would Gina Davis be remembered for this movie the same way we remember Sigourney Weaver for Aliens? I mean, also, this was not the... It was... I think it was bad timing. Like, 1995, you got, like, Seven, um, Casino, Braveheart, Twelve Monkeys. We have a lot of high concept. If it's not... Like uh, an edgy dark crime film, uh, he, sure. Michael Mann. See, if it's not an edgy dark crime film, it's like a social realist film. And like we already were burnt out, I think, with like Batman Forever was a big movie that year. I think like a big budget like adventure film that's not like edgy and dark. I just don't think there was room for it at the time. Frank Langella is very good in there as the bad guy. Oh yeah, it's, uh... yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in that movie. I fucking I think it's cool. So there's um uh, listeners and you guys you you know that I am a big Hammer fan. Um, Hammer obviously didn't just make uh, horror films; they made some swashbucklers, and many of those are pirate movies. Um, <clears throat> a couple of them, starring Christopher Lee, you've got the Pirates of Blood River and the Devilship Pirates. Now these are really fucking cool because a they star Christopher Lee, and b it's hammer so a lot of the hammer aesthetic is like pulling off miracles with no money and you kind of have these like landlocked pirate films that are still like like feel like proper um epics and they're a lot of fun the one with christopher lee i think is the pirates of blood river and that one's awesome and um the other one the devil ship pirates is also really good but uh, the one that's awesome, I mean, they're all pretty awesome, but there's one called Night Creatures, um, very misleading title. It's actually Captain Clegg, where um, Ooh. it's starring uh, Peter Cushing, Oliver Reed, um, you know, and all the Hammer regulars, Michael Ripper, all those fucking guys. And it's about, um, I, want, I think it's about rum smugglers and uh, like the, the way they get around the circumvent the law and everything. 
and it's such a it's a great movie with and they get into like a lot of the old like Hound of the Baskervilles esque like how you'd rub like phosphorescence on like your horses to make them look like ghosts to scare people off. You know, it's got a lot of that cool like old timey British history shit, which is a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, definitely check out Night Creatures and the, like the upper tier of other Hammer um, pirate films are The Pirates of Blood River, Devil Ship Pirates, uh, Stranglers of Bombay is a kind of a pirate movie too, which is about the um, the Stranglers of Bombay, I guess. Um, they would strangle people and loot their shit, which is like uh, another kind of like old school pirate thing. And it's not like really whitewashed or anything. It's like pretty, pretty grim, pretty dark stuff. It's really atmospheric and they're all very moody in that wonderful hammer way. So I would recommend those big time. Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time, hosted by me, Matt Bradley Shuri, Alex, and Thrasher. We also look at video games, we're working through Sierra Online's adventure games from Mystery House all the way up through Gabriel Knight 3, and larger pop culture topics. It's a lot of fun. For more info, go to SequelCast2.com, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. There's one, um, I mean, I wish it was a bit better, but it has a good cast. It's uh, an 83, The Pirates of Penzance. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, Kevin Klein and I think Angela Lansbury's in it, maybe. And uh, it. Uh, yeah, she plays the nanny. Yeah, she's the nanny. And it was one thing where I think originally Terry Gilliam was going to do it, so Terry Gilliam secured all these locations for filming, and then um, I think he lost financing and someone else beat him to the punch. But the problem was they wanted to use all these locations that Terry Gilliam had squared away. So oh, instead, they okay. had to film it on sets mainly, and it looks, it looks kind of cheap. It doesn't quite have the the scope that it should. But Kevin Klein was was known for playing the the lead in Pirates of Penzance on stage, and it has, um, you know, it's it's a good version, not great, of the the musical. And I I kind of wish you'd you'd get a remake of this. Uh, it's a bit long, but uh, I've seen it on. Uh, Pirates of Penzance on stage a few times, and it's a it, it's a fun show and. You know, you wouldn't always think of musicals and pirates going together, but this is just a, a classic. It's a delightful operetta, and it's a uh, it's a wonderful adaptation, and it's just like a straight adaptation. They don't really go for any flourishes. But I honestly, I like the cheap and artificial sets because it's almost like you're watching a more high production stage version, and yeah, and so it's. Very true to the original version in that way. And I got to say, the guy who plays the the uh, policeman, he is like, so this is a movie that's turned up to 11. The actor who plays mm-hmm. the policeman is turned up to 13. <laughs> he, 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 he acts like he's in a silent movie. He is right. so like cranked up in every part of his performance. So his, it's one of my favorite versions of the policeman's lot song. Um, and, and this this movie it's it's a it's a, an interesting anomaly because when this uh, came out to promote the film, they had the actors and musicians from this film be the musical guests on a few episodes of Saturday Night Live. Oh huh. shit! Yeah, and, and it's in that weird I think Gene Demanian period that often gets yeah. overlooked when like Julie Louise Dreyfus was on. But yeah, and like the musical guest, the stars of the Pirates of Penzance, and they just like do the numbers. Uh, huh. And it's really good, and it's and it's and it it kind of makes you wish. Well, why don't they do that? Why don't they do that now? That would be cool if you had the stars of musicals promoting the musical in that way. Um, but what's amazing? So yeah, this came out in 1983, and I am sure because of Terry Gilliam's involvement and the fact that he was re- left the project, and then they had to resume it with other with another director, probably slowed it down. Because you know what? What it almost came out concurrent with is the Australian Pirates of Penzance that came out in 1982, the pirate movie. That one's strange. Which yeah, one? because it is half a straight-up adaptation of Pirates of Penzance, except it's set in the modern day at like a resort town in Australia. But then it also has new music reflecting the music of the time, the music at the time being the very early 80s. It's called The Wait, Pirate it, Movie. That's the actual title, The Pirate Movie. Yeah, yes. The Pirate Movie. Yeah. Ah, which could you because, you know, knowing how long a movie could stay in theaters at the time, can't you imagine? Yeah, like a ticket for the pirate movie. And then you end up getting a ticket for Pirates of Penzance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So. So, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that caused problems. Um, And and I remember and what the two things that stand out is that there's a ridiculous music video sequence for a song called The Pumping and the Blowing, 
where oh, the main pirate in a diving suit goes underwater and his love interest is on the boat pumping the bellows to keep him oxygenated. <laughs> and it's it's a weird song in the movie, and it's a weird song when you divorce it from the context of the movie. But the other thing is, in this, when they do Modern Major General, they change some of the lyrics to make them more contemporary. And the Modern Major General makes it this, makes this. there's like a line, I'm... I'm older than the Beatles, but I'm younger than the Rolling Stones. So even in 1982, that was a hack joke. That is a yeah. pretty hack joke, like either way. Sure. Um, I mean, what, you're talking about the big pirate stuff. We've talked about Pirates of the Caribbean on the show before. Um, there was a video game of Pirates of the Caribbean that never came out. It was pretty much completed. Uh, it is completed enough where... Um, magazines and websites sent people to look at, at the preview versions and it would it would have been a cool game it wasn't based directly on the movie really but it the idea was uh kind of like the game fable depending on how you did in the game you could either be like a, a good pirate or a bad pirate if you're a bad pirate you'd look more like the skeleton pirates cool. from uh from the movies and it was kind of an open world game but it was canceled because it was too violent it never got released and also, uh, speaking of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, a little sequel cast uh, lore, that was one of the episodes I guessed on. I guessed it on. Yeah. Um, oh, sure. Pirates, yep. uh, the fourth one, the non-Gore Verbinski one. Oh, God. Yeah. And in recent uh, interviews, Johnny Depp said he was out of his mind on painkillers in that movie. Yeah. And painkillers. to his wife. Oh. Yep. So... I mean, that was one thing that was sort of cool is when it, it might have been when they were filming. It must have been when they were filming that one, I guess, or they had to do the ship and to get it to go out to Hawaii where they were filming that one. It had to go through the Willamette River, which is in Portland, Oregon, so we could see the pirate ship oh, cool. sailing sailing down the river. Um, kind of cool. I mean, it takes it a bit till you get to the Pacific Ocean from there, but... That was sort of neat. It was like, oh yeah, that's the pirate ship from the movie. Hello. <laughs> yeah, there was um, I guess Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Johnny Depp. One problematic person. Paul Paul vaulting to another is Roman Polanski's '86 film Pirates. Oh. oh. With Walter, Walter Matthau. Matthau. Yeah. yeah. How was that uh, one? I've never. Another seen movie it. you might have seen if you asked for a ticket to the pirate movie. Yeah, I know, yes. right? Um, it's like notably, it's like noted as like one of Polanski's worst movies. Um, it's even Polanski's worst movie is still kind of good. It's got a great production quality, great costumes, great. It looks fantastic, but it's, it's long and it's a little lopsided. And I think this is like, it's like when, um, P.T. Anderson like wanted to make a Netflix and chill movie with inherent vice. And what you mm. got was like a complex neo-noir that's like also kind of a stoner movie. So like. I think Polanski trying to do like a family, not a family friendly, but like a, a, a PG rated adventure film, I guess. Uh, it's still like pretty dark and like not really like family friendly, I guess. Um, but it is kind of like an old school high stakes adventure film on the high seas. Um, I guess that's interesting to note with pirate films, like something like Pirates or, or Cutthroat Island is that um these are movies that are you have to put a lot into them, and there's a lot at stake because they could fucking fail very easily and go over budget. Right. Um, one pirate thing that comes to mind, I haven't seen this in a long time, but there is a DreamWorks animated film called Sinbad Legend of the Seven Seas. Oh, shit. Do you see this one, Thrasher? Uh, I don't think I have, no. It, it featured the voices of Brad Pitt, Catherine Zeta-Jones. It, this oh, one, I, I keep meaning to watch this, and I've never had. <laughs> yeah, you know, although it's fun, it. I mean, this is one that lost a lot of money. And in the trailer, it just showed Brad Pitt and Catherine Zeta-Jones in the recording booth laughing, which is strange to do when the movie's animated. And the only thing in test screening audiences liked was this dog, so they started adding a lot of the dog in the movie for no reason. <laughs> so when you watch it, there's like this pit bull dog that is just arbitrarily in scenes because that's what the kitties liked. In the uh, in the different scenes, um, they're movies that I loved growing up. Were the were the Sinbad movies though, the live action ones with the Harryhausen oh. monsters? Yeah, those are yeah. so much fucking fun. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, I think. Right. 
They're fucking cool. Oh, and I love in the seventh voice of Sinbad, Tom Baker, who's famous for playing the fourth doctor, plays the evil wizard. Yes. Mm. Oh, and this is this is some fun like lore connected to that. So at the time, he was such a struggling actor at the time that the moment he walked off set, he had to get a job at a construction site because he he wasn't getting any other work. Oh, shit. And um, and the I think it was like Terrence Dix and one of the producers of Doctor Who, they need they knew they needed to cast a new doctor because uh, Pertwee was getting ready to leave the role. And one of them had seen Sinbad and like, oh, that guy's spooky. I think he could be the doctor. And so like the story goes, like I think it was Terrence Dix took the, the, the showrunner to see the movies like that guy, that creepy guy. Let's see if he's available. Well, of course he was available and he wasn't going to turn down any part. And like the story goes, they came to him while he was working on the construction site. Cause I don't think he even wow. had an agent at the time. They had to track <laughs> him down and told him while he was working on construction, like, Oh yeah, we want you to be the new doctor. Do I, do I have to audition? Would you like the part? Make me an offer. Sure. Okay. I'll take it. And he just walks straight <laughs> into the foreman's thing and like, well, I'm afraid I've got, I'm afraid I've gotten a job, so I must be off. <laughs> mm, that's hilarious. Well, that reminds me of those stories of, uh, like Vincent Price's, uh, biography written by his daughter. Uh, it talks about he, whenever he, uh, Vincent Price had the last day of the movie, he'd go straight to the unemployment line and file for unemployment. Cause he's like, well, I'm, I'm without a job, which I is would. true. But I mean, well, he, he did work a lot, but it is one of those uh, acting as a career where you're getting, you know, very short gigs and you're unemployed constantly. I'm, I'm just I'm stuck. I'm just stuck on the idea of Walter Matthau as a pirate. Excuse me, sir. I couldn't help but notice <laughs> that your vessel was overburdened by Spanish doubloons. Does he try to do an accent or he just sounds like himself? He sounds very gravelly. I mean, like more gravelly yeah. than your average Matthau. Um, it's been years since I've seen it. It's not, but it's not like a film I grew up with as a kid. It's like I saw it as an adult, but it, again, it was like fucking probably like 10, 12 years ago. Mm. Um, but, you know, he, he is a convincing pirate. He's a damn good actor. Um, I don't think I need to sell anyone on that idea, but um, he's damn good in it. But I, I can't really remember his voice. I think he's just very gravelly and piratey. I mean, in a way, you could call the Goonies a pirate movie in that they're looking yeah. for a pirate treasure, pirate themed. And uh, it is, is pirate. Yeah, what I and, 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 and Thrasher, you and Jason and I, we went to uh, Astoria, Oregon. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Where they had that, that Goonies museum. That was really fun. It was set up in the old building where they filmed, like, the jailhouse scenes. And it just they just had, like, a lot of props and things and costumes from the Goonies. And, and some props from, like, other things. Like, they had the Japanese lanterns from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, which I thought was cool. But, yeah, that was a really fun trip. And we got to, it took a bit of uh, hunting to find, because it's not well marked, but we got to see the Goonies house. Ooh. Which Which I think was up for sale again recently. Yeah, I think it sold for over a million dollars, and I I think that would make a good Airbnb. I think you can make a killing with that, but it's up on this, like, steep hill, and some of the prior owners get so annoyed by by drunk uh, 40-year-olds running up doing the truffle shuffle in their front yard. That uh, some of the prior owners have just covered it with a tarp, the front of the house, <laughs> and signs saying "Go before, away." Yeah. So, um, but when we went, you know, the, the people are perfectly nice, and I think the owners even waved to us or something. But uh, yeah, it was a fun sort of little day trip, and um, I'm not sure why. You know, there's been rumors of Goonies too for years that never happened, and I'm not sure why. Like at th- at this day and age, I feel like you, you could totally do a movie where it's the kids uh, of the of Goonies course. having yeah. their own adventure, you know. Oh, so I'd like to talk about a <clears throat> excuse me a pseudo pirate movie. It's it, oh, okay. it's a movie that makes you think it's a pirate movie until it pulls the rug out from under you. <clears throat> excuse me, and that is John Carpenter's The Fog. I love The Fog. Oh, That's yeah. one of my favorite one. fucking movies. I'm so glad you brought it up. I totally forgot about it because I think of it more as a horror film. Oh, yeah, and it, it's a great horror film. It's sadly, it is so, sadly, like, ignored when people talk about horror films of the 80s. It came out in 1980, <clears throat> and it all takes place in this seaside town in California that essentially gets, like, haunted by haunted by vengeful, murderous ghosts. And 
everything the movie's showing you and everything that the characters believe is telling you it's ghost pirates. They all, they look like pirates. They have scimitar. They have those like cutlasses. They all look all nasty zombified and, and all of their attacks have something to do with gold. And you could be forgiven for thinking that it's a ghost pirate movie, but then in the third act, the rug gets pulled out from under you and you find out these aren't ghost pirates. These are the ghosts of legitimate sailors who got dicked over and robbed by the founders of this seaside town. By the fucking church, man. Yeah, and this is so it's not so much vengeance as it is a violent form of justice. And and like that's the great reveal is in a sense, the founders of the town are the real pirates because they're the ones who stole the gold. It's so fucking it's I it's my favorite John Carpenter film. It's one of my favorite films of all time. It's got all the makings of like fucking movie greatness. You got like spooky, ghosty, coastal stuff. I always like think it's New Englandy because I grew up in New England. Um, but it has you got that, that vibe. Yeah, you totally have a New England vibe. Fuck it, I'm just gonna say New England vibe and um, spooky ghost New England vibe. And then like uh, you've got like fucking ghost pirates emerging from the fog. It's so goddamn cool. And they like stab you, motherfuckers, with like pirate swords and shit too. It's a cool ass movie. Oh yeah. The fuck, man! I could watch that right now. Have either of you ever seen the? Uh, I think it's a claymation movie. It's the Pirates Band of Misfits. Yes, I, I have. That. Yeah, Hugh Grant plays the character who's na- named only the Pirate Captain. It's a delightful, fun movie. It's based on a children's educational book called The Pirates and Their Adventure with a Scientist. The scientist being Charles Darwin. This one, it's much less educational and much more comical. But I love that in the end, because like the pirates, they're not good at being pirates. They're very bad at stealing. They mainly just like to sail and have fun, (laughs) which is like, I love that. Like, that's what's attractive about pirates. And I love that. Well, yeah, they'll just do that. They won't do any of the, the bad stuff. But I love that the main antagonist turns out to be Queen Victoria and a secret cabal of other world leaders that have a supper club where they exclusively eat endangered species. <laughs> so you get to, you get a villainous queen Victoria, which is such a rarity, but so delightful. And you know, David Tennant as Charles Darwin is delightful. And he has this great bit where, you know, he's like, why? Like he's revealed that he's attracted to, I think queen Victoria. Like why, why are you attracted to her? It's that tight bun. I really like that tight bun on her hair. I really like <laughs> a tight bun. And it's just, it's so great. And like, yeah, Hugh Grant is the pirate captain. Amazing. Um, Brian Blessed is the king of pirates is so good. Yeah, I think um, I, I think we American audiences underrate Hugh Grant because he did a lot of crappy rom-coms over here. But like he's a fucking he's a really good actor. Oh, he's hilarious. Like he's not only a good actor, but he, he's funny when he's allowed to just do comedy. He's amazing. Like he uh, there is a uh, there was a charity um, the producers of Doctor Who did a Doctor Who charity short back in, I think, the 90s called Doctor Who and the Curse of Fatal Death. And one of the jokes in that is they get as many British actors as possible to, to play the Doctor. And Hugh Grant plays one of the Doctors. And he's so good that you want him to play the Doctor in a comical Doctor Who story. <laughs> Speaking of Hugh Grant and piratey, pirates, um, I mean, there's some piratey stuff in Cloud Atlas, right? Yeah. Yeah. The hoo-hoo and the true-true. Yeah, I mean, that's... I still uh, haven't seen that. So oh, shit. Cloud Atlas is amazing. I would... It's good. There's a lot going on. I mean, the, yeah. the book is really good, too. Uh, the book is even... You have to take your time with it because, like, it's written in different styles depending on what time period you're reading about. But, yeah, it's it's quite, quite the journey it goes on. And... Uh, that's a good call. Why don't we do one last go around of uh, pirate themed things? Well, I I've been sitting on this the whole episode, and I'm surprised I didn't bring it up earlier. But hands down, my absolute favorite pirate movie ever is Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> oh, nice, Tim Curry. Yes, it 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 drags a bit at the beginning, but once it gets going, man, it never stops. Tim Curry is great at Long John Silver. They understand the villainous nature of that that character and how his kindness and his paternal 
care for Jim is just a front. Uh, I like the I like the way he gets his comeuppance. I like the way they find something for all the pirate for all the Muppets to do within this Robert Louis Stevenson story. Great musical numbers. The professional pirate song is amazing, and I still sing it to this day. Well, and you get a really good scene of um, Tim Curry where he's trying to open up his heart to the kid to try and sucker him in. Or it's just the two of them on the boat is sort of like a real simple scene. And uh, it it's just a nice sort of character moment that, you know, I wasn't quite expecting. You get uh, Billy Connolly is in the very beginning. Oh, yes, yeah, Billy Bones. Oh, and Uncle Deadly is Blind Pew. So is this the movie that introduced the shrimp Muppet, Pepe? Ah, uh, no, he had, well, no, he had already appeared in uh, the TV show Muppets Tonight. Ah, uh, the one in the uh, late 90s. Yeah, I believe that, that was, right. yeah, yeah, that was, let me check the, oh, well, you know what, that, let's see, Muppets Tonight premiered on Pepe March the... 8th in 1996, and so... The Muppets Treasure Island premiered on February 16th, 1996. Oh, so I guess, no, I guess he did first appear in this movie. Never mind. Pepe the Prawn, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's cool. Like, yeah, no, it, he's it's a real a good staple one. of the Muppets now. It's, um, I kind of wonder if they ever plan to do another, like, story, you know, kind of Muppets, you force them into a fairy tale or something. I, honestly, right. that's a great format and a great way to like if if every other Muppet movie was just them in a work of classic literature, I think that would be great. Although that being said, if you're going to insert the Muppets to another story and make it its own movie, uh, I would love for them to do like put them in like a film noir, like the like do the Muppets Maltese Falcon. But like the Maltese Falcon is played by Sam the Eagle and is a character in his own right. Uh, or. You do, and I can't take credit for this. This was first pitched on the critically acclaimed uh, podcast. Uh, uh, I think William Bibiani uh, was the one who pitched this. Do Muppet Star Wars? Mm. Muppet Just Star do a, Wars. Do a would, parody yeah. of Star Wars starring the Muppets. <laughs> the one I'll throw out there is one you mentioned earlier, Thrasher. Um, it's a pretty recent series. Just one season so far. I think it got a season two. Uh, our flag means death. Mm. Fucking badass title. No, it, it's great. It's a HBO uh, Taika Waititi, um, mostly comedic series. I mean, there's some serious stuff about it, but the no kitty, don't get on the computer. Mm -hmm. uh, my six pets are running to chew my arm off right now. But yeah, so what is because they want their breakfast? But what happens with the? It, it takes a little bit to get going, but it's about uh, a pirate that's sort of a coward who accidentally kills someone and now he has some actual cred and uh, it it has a nice epic scope to it it ends kind of on an ironic note that could work either as a series finale or a, a season finale and it just has um, this really sort of unexpected moments between the characters it is a very uh, uh, queer-focused uh, pirate show, which is nice. Have Ooh. you seen it, Thrasher, or no? Yes, I, ha I haven't seen it it's in its entirety. I uh -huh. think I've seen okay. about half the episodes. Yeah. But they are funny, and I love the way that they... I love that they... It's the, the production design. It's like they're making the most big-budget pirate show, you pirate movie you've ever seen. But it's just these like sort of del delightful, delightful, very, very Britishy or New Zealandy as the case may be characters. You know, I, I love I love Reese Darby's as like the main pirate. Taika Waititi is is great as a I think Blackbeard, uh, and it's it's just it's just tremendously fun. Everyone is very very charming. Yeah, it's worth seeking out and uh, just give it give it a shot beyond the first episode because uh, as a lot of pilots it has to do a lot of heavy lifting that first episode and I think w once it starts to find its groove and starts to go along a bit more it's um, it's pretty good and it's pretty uh, episodes are also like brief which is nice too many shows have hour long episodes nowadays 
And they don't they necessarily aren't. need them. Uh, yeah, that too. Yep. Th- that's the one thing I wish more streaming shows took advantage of is the fact that since they're not on a network, they don't have to fit to a time block. Like I'm fine with an episode ending five, maybe even 10 minutes early. If you don't have enough story to fill a full half hour. Likewise, I'm happy if the episode lingers 10 to 15 minutes, if there's like story and comedy to fill those 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. On the other hand, if you see them playing with the format, they tend to make stuff really, really long just because they can. And that's not always the best choice for the the story. So, all right. Well, that's been, we've had a discussion here about pirate films and TV shows and things. And hopefully you found it entertaining. And thanks again to Dominic Armato for coming on for a bit to talk Monkey Island and uh, and all things piratey. And if you didn't find it entertaining, we'll keel haul you. That's (laughs) right. So, um, you can find me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Instagram at WT2Art. And I'm on the Twitter, y'all, at Crab Nebula1914. And I also made a short film called Burnt by the Sun. It's on YouTube, but check it out. Very good. So, uh, for, uh, you wanted to do a little signal on, uh, pressure or no? Oh, I mean, sure. Do, you, do, do I need to look up the lyrics or do uh, you all know the lyrics? You know, I don't know the lyrics. Why don't you take us out with that? So um, until next time, uh, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Near this be a city dog. Same. When I was just a lass searching for my true vocation, my father said, now lass, the choice deserves deliberation. Though you could be a doctor or perhaps a financier. My boy, why not consider a more challenging career? Hey, ho, ho, 